Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and find a seat. And as you do, I want to invite you to uh, take out a copy of God's Word. Uh, We are in uh, the ESV translation this morning. And so um, if you uh, don't have a copy with you or you want to use one of ours, um, that is totally fine. You should be able to find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. And so I'd encourage you to grab that and uh, take that out. And uh, you can open up to the book of Hebrews. Uh, We're going to be in the book of uh, Hebrews this morning as we continue on in our series. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, again, just so glad that you're here worshiping. There's a lot of fun stuff going on this weekend. Uh, Those of you that were uh, there for the block party last night, uh, it was such a a fun, great time uh, just hanging out. Yeah. It was um, really cool uh, just to be able to be with our, our neighborhood and, and, um, and uh, meet some new friends, meet some new, new faces, and then see some uh, familiar ones back. There's uh, people that have joined us before and uh, coming back, and, and so um, just excited to, to hang out. And, and, um, and uh, then we had that time of worship last night as we concluded it, and it was just so good to be able to uh, worship and sing uh, together. And uh, with the block party, super thankful uh, to all of you guys from Next Step for jumping in and helping helping out. And um, yeah, you can hear the, the claps are the people that were like on these teams, right? They're so thankful for you. So I heard multiple times, man, I'm so thankful for those Next Step uh, leaders. They were awesome. So thank you for uh, joining with us and being a part of that. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was a really, really cool uh, just chance to, uh, to be together. Well, uh, this morning, uh, we are, uh, as I said, continuing in Hebrews, and uh, we're coming to a place in the book of Hebrews that I think is going to be really helpful for all of us. Um, It's a topic this morning uh, that I think there's probably not one person in the room uh, that needs to uh, hear and respond to and be reminded of uh, the truth that we have uh, this morning. And what we're talking about this morning is critical in our walk with Jesus. And the topic we're talking about this morning is the topic of rest. Uh, We're talking about what it looks like to find rest rest. And even as I say the word rest, I uh, saw um, uh, smiles kind of creep across many faces uh, because uh, some of you um, know that that's exactly what you need uh, some of. And so um, already, I, I, let me just kind of quell some of maybe the uh, fear that you have is like, I know I need rest. And like, last thing I need is another sermon, like telling me how to like find it, right? Like I, I just need to do it. But here's the thing. I think, I think sometimes our, our approach to rest is all wrong. And uh, as as we've said before, the author of uh, the book of Hebrews is writing to a group of uh, Jewish believers who were uh, a little bit discouraged. And uh, they, were, they were tired and they were weary and it was, um, they were in, in danger of giving up and, and walking away from their faith in Jesus altogether. And so uh, the, the author is writing to the group of people to encourage and to challenge them to stay close to Jesus. And they've been, he's been like kind of building out this whole um, idea of, of just how big Jesus is. And so as we come to the topic this morning of rest, it might be a little counterintuitive, right? Because the people who are, who are, uh, in, in danger of maybe walking away, the last thing you want to do is, hey, let up and, and, and kind of rest. But, but here's the, the counterintuitive nature of following Christ sometimes is it's not about how hard we work or how much uh, more that we try. It's really about resting in what Jesus has already 
done. And so that's really where um, our topic this morning of rest uh, lies. And, uh, you know, I think as it comes to us today, right, this was written to a particular group of people facing a particular set of challenges, um, but we know God's word is for us still today. Uh, We are in similar, I think, danger today, right? I don't know, you know, it's hard to quantify, uh, but I would argue that we are in one of the most overworked, um, you know, times that's maybe ever existed in our our planet, right? We have um, uh, technology, which allows us to be connected 24 seven. Um, you know, some of you already this morning have felt the buzz of your phone. Maybe there's an email or some text or something that you're tempted to kind of respond to uh, even now. And uh, I know you're not just filling out the connect card or kind of getting online. I know sometimes you're kind of checking in. Okay. I'm, I'm aware. All right. That there's other things going on, but there's always things vying for our attention. Right. And so we live in this kind of connected society. And then on top of that, um, there's this expectation, right? Like, like there's this expectation that we perform and that we have, um, we don't just, uh, I mean, my, my kids already, like my, my third grader is like having to pick out their college major and career, like already, right? Like they, they gotta, like, you know, they're kind of declaring where they're going already. But there's this expectation of what you're gonna do. And the thought is, you know, when you get to college that you have to kind of choose a major and that's where you're gonna stay for the rest of your life and figure that out. And then like you get in the real world and you figure out, oh, like there's a good chance I'm gonna change multiple times. But there's this expectation that I find my worth, my value in what I do. And that's, actually one of the byproducts of the society that we live in, right? Is because it's one thing to say that your identity is up to you, right? You can choose who you want to be. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your parents. You're not defined by, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, city or place that you're a part of. But then that means if, you're def- if your identity is not defined by that, what does that mean? That means it's up to you to define it. So now all of a sudden, this weight is on you and you have to define yourself. And so, so many times, where do we look for that definition or that identity of who we are? It's in the things that we do. I mean, take for example, when we meet someone, it's like, hey, what's your name? Uh, What do you do? Right? Isn't that not often one of the second questions that we would ask somebody in getting to know? Because now if I know what you do, I know, I know who you are or I know something about you. Right? So we have this thing. And so what it results in, and I could share all sorts of stats. I'm not going to, but I could share all sorts of stats about what the overworking, what the 24-7 connectedness, what this expectation on our identity is doing to us. But I don't think I need to share stats because I think you already know. I think you, this morning you feel the pressure of the constant, all the time kind of grind that we find ourselves in. And it's not just like when you're working, I can't tell you the number of people in our church or that I've you know, talked to that retire and then they're like, man, it's even busier now. And I'm like, how does that work? Like, I, I gotta get this figured out before that comes because I, I, I don't want that, you know. But here's the thing, is like we, just, we fill our days. And Jesus gives us this invitation as we come to him to rest. And he invites us to rest in him and and what it is. And this is the offer that's being given, not just the offer, but the exhortation that's being given to the people um, that uh, are receiving this letter is that they would rest in who Jesus is, rest in what he has done. And so this morning, I believe this is what we need this morning. Um, I'm gonna read the whole passage in just a minute, but before we do, I just wanna give you the big idea, just kind of upfront. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Um, This is what we're gonna see this morning. It's this, is that true rest is available to those who trust in the work of the Lord. True rest is available to those who trust in the work of the Lord. I wanna tell you this morning that there is true rest available. 
We just talked last week about fighting unbelief. This morning, we're talking about finding rest. The outline is very similar to last week's because there's kind of this parallel between chapters three and four, this connectedness. And where we're going this morning, we're gonna talk about the promise of rest. We're gonna talk about the picture of rest, and then we're gonna see the place where rest is found. How do we get to, how do we find this rest? And so with that in mind and kind of that direction for us, let me just read um, the, uh, the, the 13 verses that we're gonna be looking at from uh, chapter four. I don't have all the verses on the screen, so I'd encourage you to follow along in your own copy um, of scripture, yeah, but let's just read it in its entirety and then we'll walk our way through it together. It says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he is somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying, through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also entered, has also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us therefore strive to rest, enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning, and we want to walk our way through it. And I'll just tell you up front, if you're kind of reading through that and you found yourself like a little bit lost in kind of connecting it, that's okay. This passage reads a little bit clunky, but I promise as we walk through it, it's gonna become clear what the author is trying to do and kind of connecting some of these passages that he's pulling in uh, together. So let's break it down together. Let's kind of walk through it together. Let's see what um, this uh, promise of rest looks like. And that's where we're beginning. It's the promise of rest. That's where the author begins in verse one. Let's read it again. Uh, we'll put it on the screen. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should have seemed to fail to reach it. Uh, those of you that were here last week, you have a little leg up on where we're at this morning. He's continuing, right? We read, these, these aren't disjointed kind of uh, passages. Rather, it's an entire work together. So it's helpful to know what just comes before to understand uh, this. This promise of rest, what he's referring to, is, um, is, is, is tied to what the Israelites were given. 
They were promised this, this land. It was known as uh, the land of Canaan. Um, it was uh, a land that they said were flowing with milk and honey, right? It was a fertile land. It was a, um, a good land. Uh, it was a well sought after land. I've been to the land. I've seen it. It's actually a really cool piece of property, okay? God picked out a great spot uh, for his people. And so he led them all the way there. Um, he led them out of captivity, out of Egypt, uh, using the, the plagues and the different miracles that he was doing, and he led them to, uh, to the promised land. And to get there, they, had to, like, they saw God continue to demonstrate his power, right? They, part of the Red Sea, he led them by a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, and he provided food for them in the way of manna and quail, and he was feeding them. And so he brought them to the place, and they were right on the border, like literally, like just across, um, uh, just across the way. I mean, they could see it. They sent spies into the land, And the report that came back is the people are too big, the defenses are too great, I don't think we can do it. There were two that said they could, but the 10 others said that they couldn't. And who do the people listen to? They listen to the 10. And so it's all tied into this, and it says, therefore, well, the promise of entering rest still stands. It was a promise that was given to them, but that promise of rest that was given to God's people then still stands for us today. It still stands for, the, for those who are receiving it, right? He's, he's a, Siri, come on. I don't know what she's doing. She's like getting all excited here. I don't know what I did, but I, I, I got her all woken up. So are you done? All right, I think we're good. All right. She's like yelling at me. I don't know if you could hear it, but. Um, so the promise of rest uh, still stands for the people that were experiencing this discouragement. They were disheartened, right? They, they didn't know. And so he's saying, listen, he says, the promise of rest is still for you today. And so if you feel weary, if you feel tired, it's still for you today. And the same promise stands for us today. But notice what it says. It says, lest, uh, let us fear, lest any of you should have seemed to fail to reach it. In the same way that they failed to reach it, we too can fail to reach the rest that God has for us. And notice it says, any of you. And so certainly this is an offer to us corporately, but more importantly, I hope that this resonates with your heart today. This is for you as an individual This is for your personal benefit. This is rest that's offered to you. You have to put yourself here and and see what God is promising uh, to you. And what you'll see in it is this. You have to see both of this. It's both a warning and an exhortation. Do you notice it there? He's saying the promise of rest still stands. So the exhortation is let us fear. That's the action, the call to response. But the warning is that you may not reach it. If you do like they did, right? If you, if you make the same mistake that they made before, you may not reach the rest that your heart so desperately longs for, that your body so desperately needs, that your soul is longing for. And so it's a warning and an exhortation. Let's skip down to verse um, six. I just wanna kind of build out this, this point of the promise that still remains. Look at verse six. It says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, right? There it is again. It remains for some to enter it. They failed through their disobedience. We can still fail today, but the promise is still there. Verse seven, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
See, this comes, this, this, this couple places, you probably see it in your Bible where there's like those block quotes. Those are from Psalm 95, the same passage that uh, the author was quoting in chapter three that we looked at last week. Psalm 95 was written by David. And David says these words, he says, today, if you hear his word. And so here you have David speaking of the rest of God, the same rest that was offered to the people of God Now centuries, generations after, that same rest is still available. And again, the point to the author of Hebrews, to the people that he's writing to is in the same way that the rest was available to the people of God, the wilderness people, in the same way that that rest was available in David's day when it was called today. He's like, today, it's still called today. And so this rest is still available to us today. And as I stand before you, I wanna tell you that this rest is still available for us today. It's a promise that has not expired. It's a promise that is still for God's people. That's what he's trying to get at there with that. And then let's continue on in verse eight. It says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. What does that mean? Well, it means that if Joshua's rest had been sufficient, right? If Joshua, the leader of, he took over after Moses, led the people into the promised land, if that would have been the rest that God was referring to, then he wouldn't have brought it up again, right? He's kind of saying like, why would God have mentioned it a second time? If if that's the only rest he was talking about, again, the promise still stands. There is a promise of rest today. He wouldn't have spoken of it a a day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his you see it there? The promise of rest is this. It's the same rest that God took after he finished creating the world. That same rest is the rest that he offers to his people. He calls it here Sabbath rest. It would be a misapplication to think that we got to flip our Bibles all the way back to, you know, the Ten Commandments and look at all the places where the uh, Sabbath is kind of spelled out. It's not as much about that. It's about a different type of rest. It's a rest that that was pointing to. There's things that we learn from that but it's talking about this promise of rest that's available to God's people. And as I said, it's not just an exhortation, it's also a warning. Before we go any further, I just wanna make sure that we understand what this warning is. You know, in the same way that the rest remains for us today, the ability to forfeit the rest that God offers also remains for us today. And so we learn by looking back at what did the people of God do then that we still do today. How did they sacrifice? How did they forfeit the rest? Well, it says right there, it says that they failed to reach it through their unbelief, right? 319, it says, so we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So literally, literally they walked up to the border of God's rest. They were standing right there. And God says, I have given you this land. I've given you this rest. What did that mean for the people there? That meant everything. It was what they had been working towards, walking towards. Like they they had come to this point. All they had to do was reach out and take it. And God had promised, he had given it into their hands. And in that moment, what did they do? They responded in unbelief, which led them to disobedience. And they turned their back. They walked away from the promise that God had given them. So the deciding factor for the people of God then was, are you going to believe that the rest is available Are you gonna believe that this is a rest that was promised to you? And are you gonna believe my word and how you access it? And so the warning for us is still the same. Some of us, 
Some of us are on the verge. We're so close to entering into the rest that God has. Maybe some of us can even mentally like describe or we can kind of visualize what it is that the rest that God offers. But yet it seems fleeting to us. It seems like it's out of our grasp. Like somehow I know that God says that there's rest, but I don't know how to get it. I would submit to you today that the same thing that prevented the people of God from receiving the rest is the same thing that prevents us from receiving the rest that he has for us today. It's unbelief which leads to disobedience. We fail to believe who God is and what he has said and then actually apply it. Like actually believe it. So they were on the verge of entering into this rest and they missed it out. I think what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's trying to create in the people that he's writing to this like very spiritual sense of FOMO. Do you know what FOMO is? All right, so those of you that are like, you know, a little lost, I know that there's plenty in the room that could describe it. FOMO is the fear of missing out, okay? I know it's a little dated. It's not the coolest reference. I know there's all sorts of other words that are newer, um, but I'm gonna go with this one, okay? So FOMO, the fear of missing out, is like you're, you're on, uh, I don't know, what it was like Instagram? Is that, is that, are we still using that today or is that like so old? Like I know Facebook's out. So like Instagram, if you're on, you know, the, the Snapchat or whatever, I don't know what's next, okay? So I can't keep up with that. I stopped like a long time ago. But you're on that and you see what's happening and you're like, man, I can't believe I missed out, right? It's a fear of missing out. You gotta be there, you gotta be there. Some of you that weren't at the block party, I'm just telling you, you missed out, all right? You missed out. It was a good time. A good time was had by all. So I'm hoping to create in you a sense of FOMO. So next time we say, hey, there's a block party, you're like, I'm there, I'm not gonna miss out again. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. He's like, listen, there is rest available and you should have the fear of missing out on it, all right? Like you should have this desire, like I don't wanna miss it. If God has it for me, it's there. And so it begins with this promise. And here's the thing is that the rest of God, it's there if we want it. We need it, but the question is, do we really want it? Do we want the rest in the way that God is offering us? So we have this promise of rest, which brings us to the place um, that we need to understand what this rest is. So that's what I think the other thing that the passage is giving to us, it's this. It's not just a promise of rest, but it gives us a picture of rest. Okay, there's a picture of rest that's contained in these verses. And I said at the beginning, I said, you know, when you read through the passage, it reads a little clunky. And I think the author intended that, um, that was intentional. It wasn't kind of, you know, miswritten or sort of, you know, just didn't quite get all of his uh, things lined up in the way that he wanted. I think he intentionally meant that. And where I think the clunkiness comes from is the word is used, I think rest is in there like eight times. And almost every time it has a little bit of a different nuance. So I'll just tell you up front, if you read it and every time you read rest, you're hearing, interpreting, like seeing the same thing, you're gonna be a little confused. So he's using rest and he's looking at several different kind of ways that rest applies or rest was being referenced. So I think it's gonna help us if we just kind of, you know, unpack this challenge and uh, I think to best understand it, we have to see the different ways that rest is being used. Let's begin in verse three. Verse three, it says this, it says, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he had says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The quote there from Psalm 45, or Psalm 95 rather, when it says they shall not enter my rest, this is the first way that rest is being used. Rest, as I already kind of said, was referring in this moment to the promised land. It was the land of Canaan. 
So the people of God were not able to enter into the promised land that God had given his people. That's one way that rest is being used. Now, what did it mean that they were gonna enter in? Like, how is that rest? Well, again, you have to understand that for uh, over 400 years, the people of God had been in captivity. They'd been slaves. Their days were not their own, right? They didn't get to set their own alarm clock. They didn't get to like choose their leisure days or their days off. There was no rest. They were being whipped and beaten and forced into labor for hundreds of years. They were born into this and God had just freed them from that captivity. So what did it mean that they were entering the promised land? It meant that they could now rest. Do you not find it interesting that keep the Sabbath day holy made the list of the big 10, right? The 10 commandments that God gave to his people so there was this, this, this regular rhythm that he wanted the people of God to have. Every seven days, they were to stop and they were to pause and they were to think about who it was that they existed for, why it was that they exist. And I think in our society or even today, we have it backwards, right? We think that we work so that we can rest. What he was saying is, no, no, you exist for me and then the rest of your week flows out of this. Like you're not working for, for that, you're working from that. And so that's what he was doing when he gave them that list. And think about it. He ranks up there with uh, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not steal, right? It was also you need to rest and you need to remember whose you are and why you exist. That's what he was giving to the people. And so as they get there to the promised land, this gave them the ability to rest in who the Lord was and they were now free. It was this revolutionary promise that God had given them that they could rest in the Lord. So the first way that rest is used is to describe the promised land. Let's continue on, verse four. It says, although, uh, the second part of verse three, although he finished, his works were finished from the foundation of the world, verse four says, for as his somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and similar to like last week, it's not somewhere, he doesn't know where it is, it's like in a certain place. In a certain place, he spoke of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And so here's kind of the second way that we see rest being used is rest is describing the rest of God, the rest after creation. The author of Hebrews goes back to Genesis over and over again as he's writing to the people, but this is yet another place. He's referencing the place that that was referenced, that seventh day is Genesis chapter two. And it says that after God finished creating the world, on the seventh day, he rested. So that should help expand our understanding of rest because all of a sudden that should kind of trigger something because we know that God doesn't rest in the same way that you or I do, right? Like I got home last night after the Brock party. I was a little sore, a little tired, a little worn out. So I sat down to rest. Like I, I was resting because I was tired. God, when he finished creating the world, he wasn't tired, right? He wasn't worn out. He wasn't short of breath, needed a minute, right? Needed a little me time or something like that. Like that wasn't what he was going after. What was he doing? He was resting because his work was completed. He finished what he had purposed to do. He said, he looked at everything and he said it was good. He looked at man and woman and he said, it's very good. And then on that seventh day, he rested. And so he ceased his work of creation. It was finished, it was completed. Did that mean that he wasn't active? He wasn't doing anything? No way. I don't think God ever stops, right? but he was no longer working in the same way. And so he rested from a place of completed, finished work. That's so important that we understand how God rested. He rested from a place of completion. 
completed the work that he had sought to do. Let's continue on. Let's come to another place of how rest is used. Verse five, it says, and again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, right? So the rest that God's offering to his people is his rest. It, it, it images, it mirrors the rest that he, is, that he demonstrated after creation. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those formerly to receive the good news failed to enter it. Here it is again, because of the disobedience, right? That's why they weren't able to access it. And again, he appoints a certain day today through David, so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now we come to verse eight, we'll put it on the screen. And if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. All right, so we understand the rest that was offered to the people of God at the border of the promised land. We see the rest that God experienced after he created the world. Now it's saying that there still remains, the promise for us today is that there's a Sabbath rest. What is this rest for us? It's not so much, again, a ceasing of activity, just taking a break, taking a vacation. The rest that we so desperately need, the rest that the author is talking about here is an inner rest. It's a spiritual rest. It's a quietness of the soul. That is what he's going after here. The Sabbath rest offered to us today is so much more than one day off a week. One day of like taking a nap and and spending time uh, with your creator. It's about a deep inner rest that, that penetrates the soul. It's a spiritual reality in which one ceases from his own work. Do you see it there? It says there, verse 10, read it again. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So in the same way that God completed his works, you and I get to rest as if the list is accomplished, as if it is done. That's the rest that God offers to us today. And we have to understand this because again, I think we have such a simplified view of what Sabbath was all about. Sabbath was meant to kind of paint a picture of what was coming down the road, what was coming and ultimately to be found in Jesus Christ. But Sabbath rest is again, it's not just a vacation. We all know this. If you've ever taken a vacation and you get back tired, more tired from it, right, than when you left, you're like, that wasn't restful. Now I need another vacation, all right? Um, I don't know where I first heard this, but um, we stopped calling them vacations in our house. We call them family trips, right? It's a whole lot less like expectation on that thing. Like, I'm not going on a vacation. I'm going on a family trip, and family trips are exhausting. Right? We got five kids under the age of 14, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just all hands on deck. It's full on the whole time, and so it's not a vacation, and some of you, even maybe you didn't have five kids in tow and you, you know, were able to get away for a little bit and then you get back and what happens? All of a sudden, the wave of everything that's waiting for you comes back and you're like, man, I didn't get the rest I was looking for. Or maybe it's not just a vacation, maybe it's just a day off, right? You take a day off, you kind of shut things down for a minute and then where do you go? You get right back into that place of feeling the anxiousness or all the pressures, all the things that still need to be done. And so I just want to tell you today, like what, what, what God's not offering is a, just a little vacation or a day off because we know the, futil the, the futility of that, right? We know the anxiousness, the work, the pressure that still waits us from that. It's so much more than that. If you've tried it, you're still tired, you know. 
And this is where we need to like move beyond mental assent. Like, you know what I mean by that? Like, it's not just like kind of studying for the test so you can write down the answers. You're like, yeah, 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 I know that God has rest for me. We need to move beyond that till we actually are experiencing the rest that God has, that we would know and experience this deep inner rest which permeates every day of the week. And that's what he's getting at here. And I think to understand that, we have to understand the nuance that's brought in by the, the last couple, couple verses. As we're reading through this, we probably came to, I'm guessing for some of you, for some of you, you may have recognized verse 12 and 13, right? These are verses that are well known, and I've known these for years, but in context, they, they, they hit so differently. Look at verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit and the joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I've been so encouraged by this verse in years past, but I wanna tell you, reading it in the context here, you see it's somewhat like kind of aggressive. It's actually quite confronting the way that it's, it's, it's being said. And this verse, actually, there's an entire point that, that the author has been building out all the way from one, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to here to chapter 4, verse 12. There is verse 13. There is, this is the conclusion of this entire section of Jesus being bigger, of Jesus being greater, of all of this. And it ends in this, this place of being, it says, naked and exposed by the word of God. What does he mean by that? Well, that word there, exposed, is, is similar to um, <laughs> if you were to go in for some sort of throat surgery, that word exposed has a root in the word throat. And so if you were to kind of go in, it's being kind of laid back on a table and there's you know, some sort of like scalpel or something that's gonna be applied. Like it's, it's, you're, being, you're, you're totally exposed at this point. You're vulnerable, you're helpless. And it even says naked, right? Which literally means it's not a physical nakedness, but this kind of spiritual exposure, this, this spiritual nakedness, that there is this, this vulnerability and this, this will, that God is at work here. And here's the thing. Again, if we go back to Genesis, we have a picture of what nakedness is in our, our desire to cover it up, right? When Adam and Eve were made, they were made and they lived, they existed in that garden naked. And that wasn't bad. That wasn't a, 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 you know, something that they were um, embarrassed by. It wasn't until what? Until sin entered that it says that they realized that they were naked and they felt shame of it. So what did they do? They sewed together fig leaves and they tried to cover themselves up. They were covering up their physical nakedness. And that's an illustration, it's a picture for us of what we try and do in our heart. You see, the reality is this, church, is that we are naked. We feel exposed and we feel inadequate. And so what we do is we try and cover ourselves up with our fig leaves of our good works, right? Of the good things that we try and do. And so one of the reasons that we're so tired from our work is we're trying to find our worth and our value and our, 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 our identity in that, right? We're constantly trying to cover up with all of these things. And that's what's so exhausting. And the promise of rest is this. The picture of rest is this, is that you no longer feel naked and exposed. But when you are in that place, that you know that you're accepted and you're loved by the one that created you. And there's something so freeing about understanding that. And that is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. The way that we find the rest that our soul so desperately needs is in the person of Jesus Christ, which brings us to the place that that rest is found the place that that rest is found. 
I already said, it's not a vacation. It's not another day off. It's not some tips and tricks. I don't have some life hacks for you this morning of how to make your day off like a little bit more restful. I don't have any of that for you this morning. What I have is I wanna point you to the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he offers to do in your life. And that is where true inner spiritual rest is found. It says there in verse 11, let's kind of get a running start at those verses 12 and 13. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. What a great picture, right? We're not striving after our own works. We're not striving after our, our desire to cover ourselves up in our nakedness. What we're doing is we're striving to enter into the rest that God offers so that we may, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We're trying to obey in faith. We're trying to believe what God has said and what he's spoken of us. We're letting the word of God penetrate our hearts, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to our soul and our spirit, the joints, the marrow. There's times that you're like, you know, I've had people say like, oh man, you know, um, uh, you know, you, you read my mail today. Like, what, how did you know? Or like, were you, you know, was that coming from the prayer request? Or why, you know, some people get like a little confrontational about like, why were you preaching? Like, and it's like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just telling you what the word of God says. And what, what he does is he takes it and he like pierces our soul. So if you've ever been listening to the word of God, or you've ever been reading the word of God and all of a sudden you feel like it's written just for you, that's what it does. And some of us today, we, we are experiencing that even now. You know that you don't rest in the complete and finished work of Jesus. And that's why you're always so tired. And what he's trying to say to you is that would you strive to enter his rest and that you wouldn't miss it by a failure to obey the things that God has said. If there is one thing that you can do that's gonna bring rest to your life, it's this, it's to trust. It's to trust in the word of God. It's to take him at his word and to believe and again, not just some mental belief, but an active, faith-filled response to the word and to the character of God. Is that not what was lacking for the people of God as they stood on the border of the promised land? Was it not at that moment to believe, man, those people are big and their defenses are strong, but our God is greater, let's go. Right? They failed to trust and to actively believe what God has said. And I believe this, you can test me on this. I don't know if this, I think this is, this is accurate. I think this is what the scripture is trying to tell us here is that our rest is directly proportionate to the amount of trust that we have in the Lord. The more you trust the Lord, the more rest you will find, right? I mean, even take the picture of manna, right? The people that were freaking out, they're like, I know that there's been manna for the last like 38 days, but I'm just really worried about tomorrow. Like what if God forgets tomorrow, right? And they're like, you know, going to bed kind of worried about it. And like, is there gonna be bread all over the ground tomorrow? And they're like, but again, the person that's just trusting that, that God's gonna continue to do what he's done, gets a full night of sleep. They wake up and they're like, oh yeah, he did it again, right? There's like, there's this, 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 this peace that comes from trusting and taking God at his word. Tim Chester, he wrote a book called You Can Change. And in there, um, there's four liberating truths that he talks about. There's many places we could go, but I just, I thought this was super helpful. And so rather than trying to reinvent it, I just wanna give you, um, give you these. The first truth that we can believe is this, is that God is great. We don't have to be in control. Some of us, the place that we are failing to find the rest that God offers is in our ability to control every situation or our ability to control things. Some of you are scared to death over your kids and their life and what they're facing or what's going on. And the reality is, is you can't ultimately control that. And so as a parent, there's a, a great rest that comes from understanding, hey, God is great. He loves my kids more than me. 
And so I'm gonna do everything in my power, everything he's asked me to do, but at the end of the day, I'm gonna trust that he is at work, right? There's a rest that comes in trusting God's control. Here's a second truth, that God is glorious so we don't have to fear others. Listen, if the creator God in Christ, if you place your faith and trust in Christ, God says that you are accepted, that you are loved, that you are his, right? And there's nothing you can do to add to that. So why are we trying to gain the approval of others, right? Why are we trying to gain the approval of those around us when the God of creation says that you are enough in me? God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. We don't have to fear what others think. So we're not trying to prove ourselves to anybody. A third truth is this, God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. I'm telling you, how many times do we fail to believe that God and his goodness is enough for everything that our heart desires? We don't have to go out and try and find it somewhere else. I'm just telling you, if you follow God's plan, like those of you that are, are seeking marriage and, and, and wanting to get married someday, or those that are um, living in, in, in singleness right now, and there's, there's such a, our world is so departed from God's plan, right? Like he, he calls a man and a woman together and to live in, in marriage for, um, for, for the entire lifetime, right? That's God's plan for that. And how many ways do we try and go outside of that or try and you know, do other things? And I'm just telling you, if you walk in God's plan, you will find that he truly is good and there is satisfaction in that. Right? How many times do we try and find things outside of what God has for us? If you believe this, then you will find the rest that you're looking for, for truth. God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. Listen, when you find yourself in sin, you don't have to hide in shame, as Adam and Eve did. Right? He called them to himself and then responded with grace. What did he do? He actually made for them clothes and he clothed them. That's what he does for us. Listen, he finds us in our nakedness, in our shame, and in Christ he offers us new clothes to cover up and so that we're no longer like striving to cover ourselves up and, and cover up our own nakedness, but we find our fulfillment in him. God is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to prove ourselves to others. We don't have to prove ourselves to him. He loves us because we are his. And I'm just telling you, if we, we need to do well to serve from the warning that the Israelites had for us, that those people of the wilderness, they didn't receive the, the promise of rest because they stopped short of obedience of God's command to enter. I'm just telling you, if we don't get these truths, if we don't understand who he is, then we're stopping short of the rest that God offers us in believing and acting in faith on these truths. There's more that we could add to this list. There's so many things that God has promised, but we need to take him at his word and then we respond in faith and believe. Now, now if we understand that, we can read verses like this. Chandler and I didn't, quote, uh, didn't coordinate this, but I... Uh, he quoted Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. It says this. Maybe you've read this and you're like, I don't know how to find it. Jesus said these words. He says, come to me all who labor and who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is burden and my, or my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So many times what we do is we try and stop short of sin, but then we, we get active doing all the things right, that we think we need to do. 
we build up our own yoke and we, we now replace bad works with good works. But here's the reality is that those are just as damning for us because they are the wrong, right things for the wrong reasons, right? Like we're, we're going about trying to prove ourselves. And so we're not taking on Jesus's yoke. We're, we're kind of building up our own. We're finding a new Pharaoh to submit to. And Jesus said to his people, as he called them out of the wilderness, he says, I'm not your Pharaoh, I'm your father. I love you. And so I'm not putting a new burden or a new yoke on you. These commands are for your good. My yoke is burden. My, my yoke is like, my, my, my burden is easy. What I have for you is good. And so stop striving after your own works and enter into the rest that I offer. And we have to understand this, the rest that we, he has for us is rest that's available to us now, but it's just a shadow of the rest that is coming. And eternity is when we will fully experience that promised rest that God has given to his people. The rest that we experience now will be fully realized in eternity. Revelation 14, 13 says this, and I heard a voice from, uh, from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Why? Those that die in the Lord, those that know Christ, those that have been forgiven by him. Why are they blessed? Well, blessed indeed, said the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their deeds follow them that there is eternal rest promised for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as I said at the beginning, the big idea of this is this, is that true rest is available for those who trust in the work of the Lord. If you find this inner rest, I'm telling you that even when you're working, you'll find that you're resting. If you fail to find this rest, even when you're resting, you'll still find that you're working right? Because you're striving after the things that you can control. Rest in the finished, accomplished work of Jesus on the cross. Trust only in him and what he has done. And I'm telling you, you will find the rest that your soul longs for. And it's the rest that's coming in full someday. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the promise that you've offered us this morning. And Lord, I want to be the first to repent of my striving after my own works, the things that I can control, the things that I can do. God, the things that I spin my wheels on or take my time with. Lord, would we together as your people, would we learn how to rest in your finished and accomplished work? And Lord, if there would be some here that have never received that rest, God, that have never received the offer of life that you offer through your accomplished work on the cross, the blood poured out by Jesus, which pays the penalty of our sin. God, I just pray that they would receive that today, and that they would enter into the rest that you would have for us. God, forgive us for fashioning our own yoke. Lord, for creating yet another burden, adding to the list that you've given us. God, we don't work to earn righteousness, God. We work from the righteousness that you've already offered. God, thank you for declaring us righteous, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And so, Lord, we serve, we work. God, we are active, not to earn, but because you've already earned for us. God, we do it out of love and out of obedience to you, knowing, God, that you have already finished your work. Would we rest in the way that you have worked God, will we rest from our works and rest in your works? We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.